Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. Hey, hey, welcome to Life in 22 Minutes and sometimes a little bit longer. Today's episode is about being good enough to do the scary things that hold us back from greatness. And sitting next to me is my co-host and my husband, Scott. Hello, everybody. And via Zoom conference, we're interviewing our special guest, Jess Pettit. All the, way, all the way from Eureka, California. Jess was a stand-up comic for two years and has been a professional speaker and trainer for 15-plus years. She claims to be a lover of all things weird and taker honor of difficult topics with different people. Difficult. Difficult people. There's no it, difficult people in this it, world. Well, it sounds like I'm describing <laughs> you with that lover of all things weird. And <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit difficult. That's, that's me. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> now let's welcome the amazing, the bold and beautiful Jess Pettit. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Becky's been listening to a bunch of podcasts of you um videos, and videos YouTube and, yeah so so tell us you. tell us how this all came about of how we i don't care who tells it becky or what? jess how we got this put together to have jess on our our show you oh, go, go ahead do you want to go first, <laughs> or me go first? i was gonna say i got tagged in a facebook post mm-hmm. you were looking for podcasts to be on and someone tagged me and said this would be a perfect fit for your podcast mm-hmm. so that's i reached out to you and here we yeah. are and one step before that was um, when I'm thinking about 2018, um, I know um, I'm all about imperfection, but I also know that there's specifically as a solopreneur, it can be a very expensive journey if you don't have like strategy or a plan and you just say yes to everything and like, well, sure, whatever. <laughs> um, that's been, I mean, it's worked for 15 years, but I thought <laughs> for my stress level, I would have more of a plan and a strategy. And so I do a lot of podcasts because I'm funny, but I can say like good content in short sound bites. Not that this is an example. Um, And so instead of it being kind of like randomly doing podcasts, I wanted to be strategic. And so I set a goal to be a guest on a podcast at least once a week for 2018. And I put it up on Facebook. And in 24 hours, I got like 90 some odd leads for podcasts. And I am now booking into May, I think. Um, So like I might actually, I could potentially get 2018 scheduled before it's even 2018. Wow. That is awesome. Goal setting. Goal setting. You set a goal and look at it. It's coming to fruition. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So So what events in your life brought you to writing your book Mm -hmm. and speaking about being good enough now? Um, Mostly constantly feeling like a fraud and failure, I think, is is the underskirting. Um, But I I often say that my message saved my business. So uh, about three years ago, I was really burnt out. Um, I talk about every topic that my grandmother said you are never supposed to talk about. Like, that's all I talk about, <laughs> um, either through keynotes or trainings or something like this. And I love my job. 
but just doing it at the volume I was doing it at about three years ago, like I just didn't want to anymore. I didn't want to engage with difficult people or difficult topics. Or I even started telling myself, like, I could go get like a nine to five job, probably still with frustrating people, still deal with difficult topics, but I could go home. And like, I really almost quit. And I think what it was is that I wasn't noticing any significant change in the questions my audiences were asking, the people I was working with, how they were behaving. But more importantly, and this is part of the thing I really like about your podcast, is that I wasn't noticing a change in myself. Like, I wasn't becoming a better person. My life quality wasn't improving. My relationships weren't improving. Why am I doing this, right? And what I realized was, is that I had a pattern of excuses that was preventing me from growing. And when I kind of started noticing that to avoid that reality, I started noticing the same patterns with my audiences and with the people I was doing consulting work with. And then I was like, wait a minute, I might be kind of onto something, right? And when I flipped it back into the topics and the people I typically work with, what I found was, is that unless we feel perfect and perfectly educated and have collected the most diverse group of people. So we have our experience working with all these different people. Until then, there are some areas of difficulty that we will lean into, but there are others we will avoid. And so I wrote the book, Good Enough Now, really around the idea of doing the best you can with what you've got. Some of the time is better than nothing, never. And now I'm all fired up again about it. (laughs) The book came out in July. and the idea of trying, try, um, and even the idea of like the possibility of a possibility. It, that neither of those things are commitments, but they're at least leaning forward and building some of that momentum. And um, that's been really exciting. Yeah. So say, say that, that quote again, you said there about doing, doing the best you can with what you got. So you don't need anything extra, right? You already got everything you need doing the best you can with what you got. Some of the time, do not do this 24-7. That's annoying. (laughs) Do the best you can with what you got. Some of the time is better than nothing, never. Wow. I like that. That's pretty profound, Jess. (laughs) Well, I do try. (laughs) So get up and just do what you can with what you've got. And it's going to be enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's important um, I mean, even like uh, when, when uh, Becky, you shared your video um, or the video with you and your son and Scott and your reactions and things like this, like that nobody can do everything perfectly all the time. And the most important thing is love, right? Like, like I'm going to screw this up, I promise, but I'm going to hang in there with you. Like that's a commitment. That's that's building a connection, not just communicating, but like really building a connection with one another. You take responsibility for who and how you are, which may or may not be a hot mess or a different level of hot mess, but I'm going to take responsibility for that and still work with what I've got. Why can't we do that? That's free. That's, I mean, it's, there's no, there's no reason not to do it. I like what you said there to just almost uh, be patient with me because I am going to make mistakes. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say things that probably aren't coming out the way I want them said, but please be patient with me and we'll get through this. Absolutely. I mean, how inspiring would it be 
for someone that you really, really care about to say like, I am going to mess this up, but we're going to do this together versus this like, hold on, let me like pledge the house and like get all clean and like, and then I'm going to perfectly move forward. That now has nothing to do with them. That's all coming from your own ego place. Right. But the like messy, scrappy, like none of this really matters. This is what matters. This connection between you and me, this is what matters. Then it can't be messy. I love it. I love it. Being real. So I want to hear a little bit about your stand up comic days. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. My parents died when I was young. And I know that's exactly how people thought the answer about stand up comedy was going to start. But um, when they passed away, I didn't want to do something little in honor of my parents, right? So like, I didn't want to like buy books for college or something. I wanted to do something. So for my mother, interestingly, because you're wearing a necklace from Kenya, but for my mother, um, in honor of her, I did an education work trip where I helped build a school in Meru, Kenya. And it was the first time I'd ever left the country. And I did it with an organized group through my college. But one of the mornings I watched sunrise on this rock in the middle of the jungle. And it was like the noisiest silence. And I really, um, you know, 30 years later now, um, that's what I remember about my mother, right? Is that she was constantly thinking and constantly going and um, was a relatively quiet kind of reserved person. Um, So that was my mom, right? Going to Kenya and that moment at sunrise in the jungle. So for my dad, who was much more charismatic and like motivational and stuff like this, I needed to do something that scared me to death because one of his big mantras was live your life as if you feared nothing, which is hysterical because we're always scared of everything. So at the time I was living in New York City. And so I had the opportunity to be in a stand-up comedy class. And the final of the stand-up comedy class was a 10-minute set at Caroline's, which is like a real comedy club. And um, some assortment of famous comedians would judge our final sets from the class. So I figured that's terrifying. Um, And I'm like a funny person, but I had never really done like structure work or like really built a set or whatever. Anyway, so I won the uh, final and I got picked up and started emceeing a weekly show. And then within the next two years, um, I did a lot of work with, at the time, it was the George Bush, John Kerry election. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of work with the Democratic National Convention fundraisers. But then I got to do stand up with like Robin Williams and George Carlin and Chris Rock and Joan Rivers. And it was amazing. And um, now as a speaker, I think that's how I can bring comedy to these really difficult subjects. Plus, I'm really good with hecklers. (laughs) I love that. And how do you handle the hecklers? Um, It depends, actually. There's kind of an art to them. Um, Some hecklers just need attention. Right. So I like I also was a high school teacher. So there's always that kid in the class. So some hecklers, I can just say, like, can you get me a glass of water? And they're like, oh, sure. I'm so special. Right. And some hecklers want to be involved in the show. Some hecklers you just avoid. Um, And there's some kind of hecklers, too, that there's usually signals with the bouncers and they can just remove them. It's helpful. All right. So from your book, what are some golden nuggets and tips 
So, of course, there's a ton of them, and you, everyone should run out and buy a book right now. But um, I think that the coolest thing about the book is actually close to the last page, and it is a flow chart of making better connections. And so, like, if you, if, if you are getting ready to engage with another human, so it doesn't have to be a friend or someone that you're really frustrated with. It can be a barista. It can be the person. Um, I just did this yesterday, and the, the guy was so taken aback. But I was at Costco getting gas, right? There's your sponsorship commercial. And the guy on the other side of the pump, right? So like we're both getting gas, but we both stood on the same side of the pump. And so I was like, you know, how are you? How's your Wednesday? You know, and he was just like, someone is talking to me while I'm getting gas. And we ended up having a really good conversation. But the idea of making better connections is that I'm intentionally going to engage with this human being, right? Like. All the walls can still be up. You can still be defensive. You can still be protective. But like, hi, we're both going to be standing here for a minute. How are you? And to lean into those conversations as if you have something to learn, not as if you have something to teach. It shifts how we listen. It shifts how we engage and ask questions. And it helps. Um, I believe that there is a lot of fear and a lot of toxicity that is part of our culture of protecting ourselves. So not about politics, but just about protecting ourselves where we tend to like run around fearful of others. And so if we can, if I individually can lessen the amount of fear someone has, then that's another opportunity for a connection. So See, I didn't realize that you couldn't have conversation at the fuel pump. I, I knew that you couldn't have conversation while you're standing at the urinal. But that's that's bathroom etiquette. That's different than fuel pump etiquette. Well, I don't spend a lot of time at urinals. Don't you? <laughs> I, I would presume that's correct, yes. So usually it's the blue hair or the tattoo. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was fun. And what's interesting is that, you know, the Costco gas station is really, really busy. And we both finished up filling our tanks roughly at the same time. And he just turned around and was like, thanks. And I was like, you're welcome. What am I getting thanked for? And he said, you know, I just got back from visiting 31 relatives on the East Coast for the holidays. And I did not have one real connection with anyone while I was there. And I am filling up the car on the way home from the airport. And we just did. Like, wow. That's free, right? Like, oh. it didn't cost me anything. There was no risks. So con connect people, yeah, wherever you are, because you never know what everybody else is going through. You don't, you know, I mean, he just went through 31 relatives and didn't have a connection and bam, there what happens. What is your approach to life, work? Why, why does yours work better than others, perhaps? Um, well, number one, I think we should stop shaming people that naps are bad. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with taking a nap. Okay, number one. Um, I really do think that this do the best you can with what you've got some of the time releases people, including myself, from a lot of our sticking, stuck excuse places because we really can't, we, we can all do something. We don't have to do the perfect thing. You know, like I like this visual that um, if there's frustration or problems in the world or fear in the world or we're all, I mean, I believe we are all working to make the world better and every once in a while, I talk to someone that's like, what if it's fine? And I'm like, I just don't think it is. I think everything could always get better. So if we're building for it to be better, 
then that means that there's an implication that there's a problem, right? So if the problem is a house is on fire, just don't mow the lawn if a house is on fire, right? <laughs> or like pick up the garden hose. Like it's probably not going to put the whole fire out, but at least it's the right activity versus shopping for curtains. You know, like whatever it is that you really care about, it it is a house on fire and even just talking to someone at the gas pump is like picking up the garden hose. Um, I don't know that person, right? I don't, I'm assuming they live here if they're filling up on the way home from the airport, but like how lonely would it be to fly all the way to the East coast and be surrounded by 31 people you're obligated to spend time with and feel zero connection the entire time you're there, you know, and it doesn't even have to be around identity or politics or religion or food issues or whatever, but just, to be alone in a room full of people is something a lot of us experience. And I think as someone who is alone in a room full of people a lot, that if I go to connect with someone, that's for my own self-preservation, but like the dust from that might also make someone else's day better. Even if you never see him again, you know, like you can connect with your barista through a drive through window and they know that they exist on the planet. They feel validated and seen and engaged with. What harm is that going to do? Right, right. And in, in the land of diversity trainings, right? Like people always ask me, how do I not offend anyone? And I'm like, if I knew that, I wouldn't have a job, right? Like, I don't know. You wouldn't have been a comedian. <laughs> right. <exactly. laughs> but even if you, like your, your response to trying not to offend anyone is to go hide in a cave, you're gonna, somebody's going to be mad at you because you missed their birthday. You know, so like if we just engage with like, I am likely to misunderstand, I am likely to become a problem, I am likely to offend someone, I am likely to have an impact that I didn't intend, and I'm still leaving the house, right? Then every once in a while, you get the gift of finding out what it is that you did do. So then all you have to do is learn from it, right? Like, but if we apply perfection, to how we're connecting with one another, we're only going to have disingenuous, inauthentic connections, which you can't repeat, and they feel gross. So don't. I got a question for you. This might be off the wall. When somebody has just lost a loved one, let's, let's say a friend of yours just lost a child to something horrific. What do you say? Do you avoid, or do, what do you say? Um, honestly, I think that sitting in the struggle of not knowing what's going on is probably the best thing you can do. Um, I know for me, when both of my parents died before I was 20, and the funeral process was about the people who attended grief. It had nothing to do with me at all. So in addition to grieving, I had to take care of people I didn't even know. So I would think that if, if a close friend or a neighbor or somebody was going through a, a downtime, no matter what it is, you don't know what that means for them and don't become another problem for them. Like being thoughtful and paying attention. Um, I have a friend who um, her, her daughter recently passed away and her daughter's birthday is Christmas Day. This is a really hard time of year for her, right? So she's a night owl. I go to bed really early. So last night we had some people over for dinner and I packaged up the leftovers and I went to her house like at 930 at night. I should be asleep by now and just gave her the leftovers and like checked on her, see how she was doing. I didn't want it to be a visit because I didn't want her to have to feel like she had to vacuum, right? Like 
I'm just stopping by. I'm in my pajamas. Here's some food. How are you doing today? Purposely connecting versus visiting. Or like sometimes we make other people's grief about us. So we now it's an opportunity for us to share a story about how we were grieving. That's how they don't need to do therapy on you. They have stuff to do, right? So like mow their lawn, shovel their snow. You know that it's probably on their list to do and they haven't done it yet. And then don't feel like you need to be repaid for it. Just help without expectation. There's a very similar parallel when you're trying to speak a different language. So I was in the Peace Corps in Bulgaria. I speak fluent Bulgarian, which comes handy. Wow. Um, Almost never, right? (laughs) But um, I mean, in Bulgaria, when I'm speaking with someone or like a cab driver, I met these lovely women at a salad bar once that were talking in Bulgarian and they were like totally thrown off that I knew what they were saying. Um, They were talking about vegetables, just for the record. But um, I can't conjugate verbs correctly. I make grammar mistakes all the time. And my vocabulary isn't huge, right? Like I I can have a solid conversation with a native Bulgarian speaker who is under the age of like six, like we're <laughs> but outside of that, it gets more complicated, but I've never had a single person say, why don't you come back to me when you learn how to conjugate verbs, <laughs> right? Like they see that I'm trying. Yeah. And I think when, I think that we don't give space to other people to allow us to be able to make mistakes with them. Um, so then Scott took your original question, which I actually remember, is when is the last time we have given space to someone to make mistakes in front of us? And if we can role model that with other people, then life's imperfections are allowable in my space. So then that creates more space for more people to come to me without having to be perfect. And it takes pressure off me. Yeah. Yeah. When I wrote the book, it's in three different sections. So good is about self-awareness and self-reflection, right? Is that I believe every human being at the base is good. I think their life has taught them how to show up, which may not appear good, but I believe we are all good people. And then the enough piece is believing that. Like, what does that mean to really internalize that everyone you're dealing with is actually enough? And then the third section is like, okay, so now what are you going to do? If you're good and everybody else is enough, There are no more excuses. Get to work. Mm. I love that. I need to ask you one more question. Sure. I've been watching your videos and you have this really cool, bright colored, vibrant tattoo. Oh, my arm one? Uh Yes, yes, yes. So what's the meaning behind that tattoo? Sure. Well, I got a little nervous because I was like, how deep into my videos did you go? Oh, I, I, I can see you had we, a lot we of... didn't see the one in the small of your back. We just saw the one. I have, I have 14 dead. Yeah. If it wasn't 40 something degrees here, I would take my sweatshirt off and show it. But go, there's pictures. Enjoy. So, um, that one, my half sleeve, is um, a flower called a Japanese anemone. And um, I have moved every two years of my adult life. And um, upon getting married, this is the longest I've ever lived in the same place. So we're at 13 years now. That is definitely not two years. And um, before buying this house, we had a rental house that we lived in. It was about a mile down the street. I travel for a living and my husband is ridiculously romantic. And outside of the master bedroom was this little fence that probably had a hot tub in it at some point, but the rental property did not have a hot tub. 
anyway, so he sanded the inside of that fence and painted it bright orange because one of the hardest adjustments I had to moving here is how foggy it is on the coast, right? And so every morning I would wake up, when we lived in Arizona, I would wake up and tell them the colors of the sky and the trees outside and um, the flowers on the cacti or birds or something. And when we moved here, I'd be like, oh, look, it's gray. (laughs) (laughs) So he painted the inside of the fence orange so that every morning I woke up and all I saw was this bright orange color, right? Which is my favorite color. So this Japanese anemone um, started growing kind of in this space randomly and it's really, you should Google it, but it, the one that we had is this really soft pink petal. It almost looks like icing, like it would, like you'd be able to like crush it and like it got all over your fingers. It's a really beautiful flower. But because I've never lived in a place for a very long period of time, like I'm really comfortable with change, not really comfortable with like staying put. This is kind of a new thing for me. So I took pictures of this flower through its whole life cycle. So from like little buds to like flowers to like dying flowers to what it looks like in the winter, which is just kind of this naked stalk. Anyway, so I got a a tattoo of all of those changes that can occur Um, in one place. So if you actually dare to be vulnerable enough to actually root yourself in one place, there's all of these changes that can still happen. Interesting. That That is cool. Yes. Well, thank you so much. We know that 22 minutes isn't very long, but we sure appreciate you being on our show and uh, being a part of it. It's been nice to get to know you and understand that you're just giving, you're validating the fact that people can have a rough day and still be successful. And you can also not like stuff and you can have opinions and you can believe and not believe in all kinds of things that may or may not be accepted by other people and you can still exist. Can you mention that part to Becky one more time that we can all have opinions? Except, <laughs> except for husbands. Okay. okay. <laughs> an asterisk. It's I, always exceptions. I, I get the that. I get that. You can talk to my husband if you want. He'll be <laughs> How do our listeners connect with you? Um, so the website, goodenoughnow.com. My YouTube channel, since you cited it, is Jess Pettit. And your listeners, if they want free stuff, should go to goodenoughnow.com slash freebies. It's a secret hidden website. Um, but then they can download free stuff about the book too. Awesome. Thank awesome. you very thank much. You. Yay. Thanks thanks. For joining us, Jess, and thank you to all our listeners. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love.